O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The true God, one in three, and three in one. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him.
Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of my servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious. O turn unto me, and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaid. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. The Old Testament lesson for the fifteenth Sunday after Trinity is written in the seventeenth chapter of the first book of the Kings, beginning at the eighth verse. The Lord's word came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to sustain you. So he rose, and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Please, get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have a cake, but a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jar. Behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and bake it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little cake from it first, and bring it out to me, and afterward make some for you and your son. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of meal will not run out, and the jar of oil will not fail, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house ate many days. The jar of meal didn't run out, and the jar of oil didn't fail, according to the Lord's word, which he spoke by Elijah. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the fifth and sixth chapters of Galatians, beginning at the twenty-fifth verse. Brothers, if we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Brothers, even if a man is caught in some fault, you who are spiritual must restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you also aren't tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each man examine his own work, and then he will have reason to boast in himself and not in someone else. For each man will bear his own burden. But let him who is taught in the word share all good things with him who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let's not be weary in doing good, for we will reap in due season if we don't give up. So then, 
as we have opportunity, let's do what is good toward all men, and especially toward those who are of the household of faith. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor yet for your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? See the birds of the sky, that they don't sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of much more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add one moment to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, neither do they spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today exists and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, won't he much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? Or with what will we be clothed? For the Gentiles seek after these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Each day's own evil is sufficient. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. No one can serve two masters. How well do you think people today understand those words? After all, you live in America, land of a free people, people that are proud of their freedom, and the very concept, really, of master and slave or master and servant is seen as ab abhorrent, which is why everyone talks about the evils of antebellum slavery, because there were masters and slaves and cruelty. So to us Americans, it can be an insult to suggest that we even have one master, let alone that we want to serve two masters. Who in the land of the free would want to serve two masters? But that's what Christ accuses our flesh and the world of doing. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Which means the temptation to serve two masters is there, whether we realize it or not. There might be times in the culture where you kind of see this. Many of you have held jobs outside the home. How many of you have held a job where it feels like you've had to answer to two bosses? And think about how it went. It never really goes well, does it? It's never good. There's always two agendas to serve, two people to make happy, two personalities to deal with. And when you're trying to make two people happy, you're always at odds with what you're doing. It makes one happy but not the other, and vice versa. Eventually, you just pick one boss to make happy. You gladly do what he says. Then when the other boss makes his demands, it begins to annoy you until you begin to despise him. It happens every time. You can't have two bosses. You can't have two masters. And that's a rather small example. But the scale that our Lord is talking about is much higher. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And really the Greek word there is mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon being worldly, earthly goods. Not just money, but anything you can have in your possession. So when Christ says you cannot serve two masters, maybe you better know this as you cannot have two gods. This is from our catechism. Our flesh in the world believes that we're free, that we need no masters, and that with that, you really don't need a God either. That's what our culture tends to think. But our first commandment, the Lord's first commandment, actually says differently. It says that we all have a God whether we know it or not. We all have something we expect all good from and refuge in. We all have a God. And not only that, but as Christ shows us today, you can only have one God. Everyone has a God and everyone has only one God. God, the true God, or mammon. And so our Lord goes on to explain it in the following verses. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And which of you, he says a little later, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? And a little later, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, really you could say, for the pagans, seek after all these things. And so as it happens for two bosses, so it is for people who try to serve God and mammon. For those who try to be friends with God and the world. Our flesh wants to serve both. Yet eventually only one can be seen as the master. So the flesh goes to try to serve two masters and then subtly funny logic develops that we go through we jump through mental hoops and eventually the flesh chooses whether it realizes it or not it chooses to serve mammon even while it thinks it's serving both and the reason why our flesh and the world will always choose mammon is rather simple 
Mammon has immediate promises. It promises immediate satisfaction, immediate pleasure, security, comfort. It gives you immediate show of friendship. It accepts you just as you are. So the flesh sways toward mammon. And it delights in mammon's promises. It delights in food and drink. Delights in the comfort of nice clothes. It thrives with healthy bodies and what appears to be the many friendships of the world. And what mammon demands right away from you is nothing. You don't have to repent. It doesn't tell you what you can't do. It doesn't give you a law. Just keep enjoying the pleasure. Keep enjoying the comfort. As long as you don't tell anyone else that they're sinful, just enjoy. That's what mammon promises. But then there's also something that mammon doesn't show. And that's anything that is worldly doesn't last. It promises, you, it promises you food to eat, but eventually the food gets eaten or it rots. It promises, you, it promises you a drink of water, something refreshing, but eventually that gets drunk or if it sits, it gets moldy if you try to store it. It promises you health, but eventually, by accident or age, your health will decline. It'll break down. It promises you clothes, but eventually clothes get torn or just wears down. It promises you money, but money will be spent or stolen. It promises you a cozy home, but eventually furniture breaks and the home will be torn down. It promises you worldly friendships, but in friendships where everyone looks out for themselves, sin will enter in and those will end too. Mammon begins by serving us. Then it begins to slip away. As it slips away, we try to keep it. We begin to serve it. The next thing we know, it becomes our God. Our flesh begins to center around making money when it slips away. When scarcity becomes obvious, our lives, if the flesh dictates, our lives become about or become about getting more food, getting more drink, getting more clothes, getting more health, trying to extend our life, add hours to our lives. And sometimes it feels like we can keep up with all those demands, that we can keep the comfort and keep the security. But again, it becomes scarce eventually. It starts to run dry. The security starts to go away. The flesh starts to despair. Because if mammon is your source of life, if that's where all good comes from, if that's your security, and it starts to slip away, there's your source of life. It's, it's leaving. And as the worldly treasures run dry, the God of mammon doesn't necessarily go away when all the goods do. do. Instead, the God of mammon stays there, looks at what you've let slipped away, and then tells you you're not good enough. It tells you you deserve to die. What was once a very promising God becomes into a judgmental God. That's when despair enters in. And with despair, anxiety and trepidation. Not just a nervous day-to-day -day thing, it's a fear of death. 
And that's when the flesh begins to ask, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? How shall I pay the mortgage or the bills? And really what it's asking is, how do I live? Or how do I keep from dying? It's the very same thing the pagans of old would ask about. How do we keep living? How do we keep extending our lives? And so they go and they pray and they grovel to their gods of Zeus, Demeter, Dionysius, Apollo, Aphrodite. If you don't know those gods, those, the names for the old gods, that's okay because those gods still exist today. People still pray to them. They're just different names. It's power and money. It's food and drink. It's health and sex. They're the same gods, just different names. And whatever you call them, they're just different mass hiding the devils that are underneath. So mammon as a god is nothing more than the mask for the devil who's a liar and a murderer. Our flesh craves and promises, our flesh craves the promises and lives that mammon offers. But then it just leads to anxiety. It just delivers death. And that is why when you came in here this morning, It's what our flesh craves every week. So when you come in here this morning, what did the church have you do? The church had you confess your sins and repent. And then the church had you pray this collect, which says, without you, O Lord, the church cannot endure safely. As we endure the anxiety of the flesh all week here, the collect turns our attention away from what the flesh wants and says, without the Lord, you cannot endure safely. There's a lot in that little line. When we prayed that, what we were praying is is that everyone has a God that they expect all good from. Everyone has a God that they seek refuge in from all that anxiety and stress. We confess in that one little prayer that there is only one God and that if our God is anything but the true God, then there can't be life, there can't be safety, there can't be salvation. If you don't have the true God, if the church doesn't have the true God, then there's an absence of faith, and that absence of faith gets filled with anxiety, with adultery, which only leads to death. Because mammon can make it feel like it makes you live forever, but it really can't add a single moment to your life, let alone eternal life. Mammon, as a God, means death. But the true God means life. Which is what our Lord explains as He goes on. He asks, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so we prayed in the collect, 
May your pity continually cleanse and defend your church. What we're really saying there is, Lord, in your compassion, create us so that you and you alone are the God we serve. And God answers, yes. In divine pity, he sent his son to take our flesh and die for our sins. And in divine pity, he brought us to the font to be to be cleansed from head to toe from all the sins of anxiety and idolatry, saving us, and in baptism, drowning us so that we no longer serve the old God of mammon and making us rise from the waters, a new man with a new master, with a new Lord. And as we're drowned in those waters, that's where the flesh and all that anxiety are put to death in Christ. And rising in the waters is no more anxiety, but it's faith and confidence being given to us. Faith and confidence in the only true God, who's, no longer, who's not just your master, but also your father. In divine pity, we are cleansed once in baptism. And then as we journey on from baptism, always in our baptism, there's the waters of baptism always cleansing us cleansing our feet as we walk in, the, in this world on our journey to heaven, always forgiving our sins, always, every time anxiety pops up, relieving us of that anxiety. In divine pity, we are baptized into, into the church, into the body of Christ. It's not only is all good given from God in baptism, but then also you're brought into the body of Christ, into the church, which is the fortress your defense from the world, from all anxieties. And here in the church, you don't gain worldly friendships that last for a time. In the church, you are put into an eternal fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything here lasts for eternity. Not for a time, but for eternity. That's the divine pity that we're asking for, which God gives and that's why our Lord says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This isn't a prosperity gospel. What Christ is saying is seek first the cross and His righteousness. And apply that to His words. So if we ever feel cold and naked, Christ says, look at the grass of the field that is clothed greater than Solomon." And when you're, when you're reminded of that, how God closed the, closed the grass of the field, then be reminded of how God put Christ on you. How you were clothed in Christ. How you were clothed in His righteousness. And when you see how the grass is clothed, think of how Christ clothed you. Seek that first. Then God will give you what is worldly after. He'll give you what you need. When you feel the pains of hunger and thirst after not having eaten or drank for a long time, then Christ says, look at the birds of the air, how they are fed. And then think of the bread in the cup, which is not just food, but the medicine of immortality. When you see the birds, think about how God feeds you first and foremost at the altar. And then... 
God will give you what you need that is worldly. When you feel anxious about your life and your mortality, when you know that you're going to die and you feel that despair, then what Christ is leading to is see how Christ gave up all and died for you on the cross. When you feel your mortality, seek repentance. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow. And as you do that, as you seek first the kingdom of God, then God will use what is worldly, whether it's food or drink, clothes or whatever, to bring you to the resurrection. Everything that is worldly is a means to an end. To bring you the kingdom of God first and foremost. And then, you can see what God gives you in this world for your own survival. You see what God gives you in this world to love your neighbor and show them the love God shows you so that you and them, by what God gives, can be brought to the resurrection. Food and drink, clothes and anxiety can't add a single moment to your life, Christ says. And when you die, none of that will count anything toward your righteousness and none of it will be brought with you. But the word of the cross which is proclaimed the robe of righteousness put on you in baptism, the food and drink you're given at the altar. These give you life eternal in Christ. These will never go away. These are the kingdom of God which the pagans don't know to seek after, but that you who are baptized do. We pray toward the end of our collect to for God to preserve, that's really govern. Govern your church evermore by your help and goodness. That is, govern your church by your kingly office. And what office is it that our Lord has? It's the office which, when our Lord rose from the dead, He was given when He ascended into heaven. It's the office where He holds all power and authority over heaven and earth. Where He holds power over the right-hand kingdom of heaven and the left-hand kingdom of this world. And so if our Lord holds all this power and died for you and rose from the dead for you, for you, if our Lord dresses and feeds you with all these eternal things from His right-hand power, if He protects you from the devil and all evil things in the church, then why would you have anxiety about if He will provide you with the earthly things in the left hand? He gives you the greater. Won't He also give you the lesser? And so our Lord tells us at the end, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If He gives you what is eternal, He will give you what you need for this life to live and love your neighbor. He will give you everything you need to bring you to the kingdom of God which has no end. Even if you find yourself like Lazarus, sick and poor, with nothing to call your own and no food to eat, still he'll use all that to bring you home. Because no matter what happens, the Lord will govern us from his power and his authority to bring us home. And in that and in our baptism, we pray may the Lord give us full confidence and trust as we partake of the eternal food even now. Amen. We praise Thee, O God, we acknowledge
Just 
Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, we beseech you, let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church. And because she cannot continue in safety without your succor, preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our president, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our governor, the legislature of this state, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake. Comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishment, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, 
the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds, we may serve and please Thee. Into Thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let Thy holy angel have charge concerning us that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto Thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.